So our reading tonight is taken from Acts chapter 15 and we're reading from verse 22. So Acts chapter 15 beginning at verse 22 until verse 35. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among, from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles, and Antioch, and Syria, and Cecilia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we give them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it, is, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from that which has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from that which has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep, these, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, and teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. So, our verses tonight. Verses that I have to say, I was pondering over a fair wee bit as I read the different commentaries and pondered over what these verses were saying. I very much felt that God was impressing upon me the significance of the letter that was written. And I then began to ask myself, well, what's so significant about a letter? And then I started to ponder the content of that letter. And then a little penny dropped in my head as to just what has happened in these verses. Because essentially what we see here is the early church given a choice. It's confronted with a situation and as with any situation you have options, choices and how you respond to it. They are confronted with a situation which threatens to tear the whole church apart. As people are picking sides, as Pharisees are rising up and Paul and Barnabas are rising up on the other side and you could have, this could have all played out very, very differently than what it did. But they came through discussion and prayer to one accord. 
And this is what he sent to this church. And it's amazing, I think, when we see it, it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Not so much of a blessing this letter was to those that received it. As those who weren't Jewish are called brothers by those that were. Some really remarkable stuff is going on in what is shared in these verses. And it all comes down to this choice. And it said in the previous verses, we explored this last time, they asked the question, can we really lay on these new believers something that we ourselves couldn't attain to? Are we really going to lay that burden on them? And they come to the conclusion, finally, after much discussion, and I would like to think that they all come to this conclusion on both sides, all of them finding a compromise going forward as one. But they come to the conclusion of grace and not to burden believers with a law that they themselves know they can't live up to. They gave these new believers the blessing of freedom from that. Yes, there are some things that they ask them not to engage in. Some of these we will find perfectly sensible. Others we might question a little. But most of the commentaries generally would say that some of these were put in here so that there could be unity between the Jews and the Gentiles and there wouldn't be issues of unclean or anything like that. So they make a decision that will keep the church together, allow it to move forward and draws the Gentiles in as fellow brothers and sisters with those who are Jewish. And they don't burden them. They give them the kind of freedom that the gospel is here to bring. And as I was thinking about that, a story from Jesus, one of the stories I absolutely love just because it's just filled with such wisdom, came to mind. And it's from Luke chapter 8. Excuse me. And this is um, when Jesus was at the Mount of Olives. And this is from verse 1. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All of the people came to him and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses, we are commanded to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and says to them, let anyone who is, among, who is among you, who is without sin, be the first one to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote in the ground. And when they heard this, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither, I, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. I love that story. Because in the story you have all these people who 
filled with indignation and anger at the acts of this woman, they bring her before Jesus. And they don't realize what they're doing at that point, but they're actually bringing her before the Son of God, the only one that can actually judge sin. And what he tells them essentially is, you're not qualified to judge this. But let's see, any of you thinks he's perfect, you can throw the first stone. And by some miracle, everyone recognizes they're not. It's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't dispute the charges brought against this woman. It's very likely she was actually caught in this act. But he disputes their right to bring the charges against her based on their position. And so they drop their stones one by one and walk away. And the woman is freed from condemnation. Not, of course, to live scot-free. Jesus tells her, the final words he says to her, go and sin no more. But for me, we see in that story the stark choice between law and grace. Because when it comes to the law, this woman stands condemned and what they do is just. But Jesus being wiser than they and that's why I think this story is so brilliant because he completely subverts and brilliantly undermines the whole situation just by his wisdom and insight but by doing that he brings the situation from one of law to one of grace and I think this church here was faced with a very similar decision What is it going to do about the fact that God has now all of a sudden gone further than they anticipated? Although they should have known it, because he told Peter he was going to do it. He actually led Peter to situations where he did do it. He then told Paul he was going to do it and give Paul this ministry, but yet they're now in a situation where the church is growing. The church in Antioch is actually in a situation now where pretty soon, historically, it would be a more powerful centre of Christianity than the Jerusalem church. Partly because Jerusalem gets burned to the ground not long after this. But this is one of the rising powers of the church. And it's filled with those who aren't of Jewish descent. So they're having to wrestle with massive, massive issues. With the burning question, what do we do And what do we place on these people? What expectations given by God do we place on our brothers across in Antioch? And praise God that they come to the decision that is good to the Holy Spirit as it says in verse 28. And they release them from that potential bondage. Asking only for that which will help the church move forward. Grace becomes the focus. And it struck me that same stark choice remains for every single one of us. (coughs) What do we do with the person of Jesus Christ who I'm sorry to tell all of us no matter how radical and gracious we might be he's more radical and gracious than we are 
And we'll do things sometimes that we might not anticipate. And we might ask us sometimes to do things we're not actually that comfortable with. What do we favour? Let's go for one of the obvious examples when we see somebody make a mistake. Is our desire punishment like those that had the stones? Or grace like Jesus who made them release the stones? What do we favour? Because we all have that stark choice. And I think within us is a natural tendency sometimes towards, I want to see them pay for what they've done. Or maybe I'm just speaking about myself here. Sometimes you do get that. But what Jesus tells us to do is to put the stones down. To release them. And to trust Jesus instead. Which do we do? It strikes me over the past couple of weeks we've been reminded in some really encouraging and amazing ways about the generations of our church. We had founder members last week who spoke of praying. There were 16 of them when this church began. I think it was 16 or 17 she said, adults. And they prayed for us. They prayed that there would be children. And there is. They prayed for all the generations that would come after them. And they were amazed because they saw God answer those prayers. And then this morning we saw the drama from the kids. And on that stage was the next generation. Those who are going to pick up the mantle after us. What are we giving them? The church here gave us the mantle of grace. The command to lay down the stones. But what are we given? Is it law? Is it that legalistic tendency to judge harshly and be really hard on one another? Or is it grace like Jesus who expects us not to sin? But instead of punishing us when we did, and when we do, let's not put that in past tense, died for us instead and that doesn't mean we have the free for all Jesus still says to us now go and sin no more what, uh, what is the baton that we're handing on to the next generation just something I've been pondering especially this afternoon after watching the drama and let's not pretend that we're given two equally valid choices either two rights and we pick the preferred There is a right and there is a wrong. There is the way of Jesus or the way that is against Jesus. Jesus championed grace. And his strongest and harshest words were for those that resisted grace. So it's not a case of we can keep the stones if we decide this is ideologically what we agree with. We need to put the things down. And trust in our God. There is one clear right way. I think as Christians we err on the side of grace. And I'm not talking about rampant liberalism and where there is no black or white, there is only grey. 
I'm talking about we know the black and we know the white, we know the right and we know the wrong. But we accept that people do the wrong and God asks us to restore them. What Jesus did for that woman caught in adultery literally saved her life. His response restored her in a way in which I would imagine we're not going to be in the scenario where we ever have to disarm somebody. I would hope. But how we respond to people's failures can save the life in many other different kinds of ways. We could be that person that lifts them out of their failure and guilt and makes them think, actually, I can get up from this and keep on walking. What do we do? What are we handing on? The church here confronted with a choice that I think we're all confronted with so frequently. The choice of grace or the choice of holding tightly to rules and laws. And it's one we all wrestle with. I'm afraid we all have things in our life that we are going to use as a measuring stick. And when people breach those, that's when we're tested. Because it's not grace if you don't actually have to try and show grace to somebody who has breached one of our measuring sticks. One of mine, for instance, is I find it really difficult when people are rude. I just can't cope with rudeness. It makes me really, really mad. But the challenge for me in that situation is what do I do about it? Now that one of my ethical things has been breached, do I respond and like making me actually a hypocrite at that point? Or do I try and respond with grace? And that's a small thing. People, People have much bigger ones than that. But my encouragement to us is we look at a church which wrestled really, really deeply when God was on the move about issues that could have torn them apart. But fundamentally it was about what they did and what their expectations were of other Christians. Be like them. All of us. And let's make sure we err on the side of grace like they did. Letting go of the stones, if we happen to have any, and doing what Jesus asks his church to be. Thank God they had that wisdom. And I would hope that for our next generation, we can call them the dancing generation after their drama this morning, one day they will be able to say about us, thank God they had that wisdom. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you above all just for that grace that you have poured out on each of our lives. Lord, we acknowledge before you that Lord, we sin in so many ways and Lord, some of these we are aware of and there are many, many more that we're simply not. There are blind spots. Things that we either don't see or refuse to see. But we thank you that we have a saviour who calls us to him. Not because we're worthy and deserving, but calls us with the beckoning voice that says, trust, trust me. 
So help us as your followers to trust in Jesus Christ. To reflect deeply on the grace that's been poured out upon our lives. And to pour that out upon one another's lives. To be a blessing to those around us. And to show the kind of wisdom and grace that the church did here in the book of Acts. That Jesus did when confronted by this crowd of people desperate for blood. Help us to put our stones down when we pick them up. And instead, to do as the church did in Acts and recognise that you call us to be a people of grace. Who free people from shackles and sins by proclaiming a gospel that liberates us from all these things. Give us that wisdom. Give us that clarity. And help us to be a people who the next generation give thanks for. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand together now to sing a song which just reminds us of just how great our God is. We stand together now and sing the splendour of the King.